Welcome to the HCC Podcast. Our mission is to nurture love for God, love for self, and love for others as the highest goal of humanity. May the following message nurture that love in your life. And remember, you're always welcome at HCC. It's a perfect church for less than perfect people. Peace. God of justice, peace, and righteousness, alert us to your presence right now. Breathe your breath, your spirit of prophecy, your energy, your enlivening, your imagination. Breathe that on us. Wake us up that we might live. Open our eyes that we might see. Unplug our ears that we might hear. Unlock our minds that we might know your will. Free us from our sinfulness that we might follow the ways of your extraordinary kingdom. Right here, right now. Amen. So, oh, uh, I lost my watch. Uh, oh, what, what time is it? Thank you. A little, little bit of confusion there. Like, let's start over again. Ready? I, I, I led you into it a little suspiciously. All right. Joking you with my watch. I purposely didn't wear it today, so I would do that little gig. What time is it? Because we are Romans 8.28 people. Excellent. Way to go. You guys can read and everything is just so fantastic. I love that. This is our theme. This is our mantra. This is our, our, our knee-jerk soul reaction, our soul reflexivity. As soon as you're watching something and you're like, oh no, not another negative thing. Wait a second. Reset, center. I'm a Romans 8.28 person. It can only be good. So as you're going through your life and your spouse says something that might be negative, whoa, 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 whoa. we are Romans 8.28 people. It can only be good. Your coworker, your whoever, you just keep that in your mind. Luke chapter 4. Let's open our Bible to Luke chapter 4. We're going to look at the reason why Jesus came. Why did Jesus come to this earth? He tells us himself in this passage of Scripture. He uses Scripture to tell us why he came. So when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the Scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled it to, and found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. 
Now, that was an incredibly radical statement. Uh, Isaiah 61 is, an, is a prophetic expression of the coming of the Messiah. Everyone in the room knew that. They all were very familiar. They were Jews. They had been raised in the Torah and all of the prophets. They knew what he was doing. And that's why they were all hush and they were staring at him and saying, you better not. Don't you do it. No, don't. Uh, don't uh. They, were, they were wondering whether he would actually say these words. Today, these scriptures are fulfilled in your hearing. And what he's basically saying is, I am the Messiah. And I've come to do these things. Now, when you look at that passage of Scripture, especially the highlighted part, he has sent me to proclaim to the captives be released, to set at liberty those that are uh, oppressed, to re, uh, renew the sight of the blind, to, to free the poor from poverty. Has that all happened? Is that completely done? Is it absolutely finished? So what he's saying is, I am the agency for all of these things to happen. In me is the power and the impetus and the ability and the calling to reach out and engage these things to get done. He is saying they are already fulfilled in me, however, in part in the earth. One day they will be fulfilled in full, but right now in part. But he is saying he is the ultimate fulfillment of all of these things. That's what he came to do. Jesus came for that purpose. And I believe, and I'm assuming you believe, that what I preached all last year is true. Last year I started preaching from Colossians chapter 1 verse 27 and I preached about the secret of life. It's OxyClean, right? Gets all the stains out. Or it's the new keto diet or whatever. Everybody's got a secret of life out there. Everybody's hawking a secret of life. Jesus said, Paul said in Colossians 1.27 that the secret of life is this, Christ in you. And all year long, in various ways of saying it, I said to you, I preached to you all year long that the secret of your life is not a promotion. The secret of your life is not a, a, a fixed marriage. The secret of your life is not a healthy body. The secret of your life at the very center of all secrets is that Christ lives in you. Therefore, Although you're not Jesus, and you might need to tell your spouse that, you're not Jesus. Maybe they think they are. They walk on water and all those things are God's gift. You just need to remind them you're not Jesus. However, even though you're not Jesus, you are the ongoing earthly vessel of the incarnation of Jesus in the world. You are not Jesus but the secret is that Jesus lives in you and therefore you are the bearer of the image of Jesus himself and you are the doer of the work of Jesus. This is the singular point of today's sermon. I got nothing else to give you. 
Except today that this is the singular point. You and I bear the image of Jesus before a watching world. We are the ongoing incarnation of Jesus because Jesus literally lives in us. Therefore, as followers of the way of Jesus and doers of the work of Jesus, we are called by God to do the work of Jesus to the best of our ability in this broken condition that we find ourselves. We are really the only Jesus that some people will ever experience. So the work of Jesus is his ongoing work through us. Let's take a look again back at Luke chapter 4 and rework, if you will, making it more real to us. I'll use me as the example, and I'll reread this portion of the passage with the emphasis being on the secret of life, meaning Christ in me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Who? Steve. That's the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For Jesus has anointed me, Steve, to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me, Steve, to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus went on to say that this passage was fulfilled in him and then by the perpetuation of his presence in us, it is ongoingly fulfilled in our lives because he lives in us. We actually continue his work in the world of bringing good news to the poor of engaging opportunities to release the captives, of offering sight to the blind, of relieving the oppressed. So let me say this a little bit more clearly and directly. Jesus is in us, continuing his work with the poor, captive, blind, and oppressed through us. So here's the real question. Are you working? Are you doing the work? If you say you follow Jesus, the centerpiece of the work of your life, if Jesus is the center of your life, is actually the work of Jesus. So what do you want to become? You want to become more like Jesus. What do you want to do with your life? If you're standing in front of God, it should not be saying, I just want to be a plumber. I just want to grow up to be an accountant. Because the work that God is expecting ultimately in you is the work of his kingdom. Now, Lord knows we need plumbers and accountants and doctors and all kinds of folks right now to do all these earthly jobs. But ultimately, transcending all of that is the work of Christ in you that God wants done. The work of caring about the poor 
caring about the captive, caring about the blind, and caring about the oppressed. So are you, in the here and now of your life, a willing vessel allowing Jesus to continue His work regarding all manner of poverty, all manner of captivity, all manner of blindness, and all manner of oppression? In other words, the work of being the social center of God's kindness in the world. Are you interested in that work? Are you often thinking about how you can perform that work, engage that work? This was the work of Jesus, and now, because Jesus lives in us, it's our work as well. So, does Christ live in you, and are you partnering with Christ in His work? Or, is, is your employer in you, but you haven't shown up for work yet? Is your employer in you, waiting for you to show up for work, so that he can accomplish his agenda through you, because you are his employee? The manager, the boss, is expecting you to do this work. Are you interested? Are you, are you interested in showing up? And a good question right here is, how exactly do I partner with Jesus to do that work? Well, here's how. Ask God, your boss, your employer, kingdom of God wise, to open your eyes to how you can serve the poor, the captive, the blind, and the oppressed. Just simply open yourself to that ideal. Listen, look, and act on God's direction for you. I don't need to tell you, hey, help us out with City of Refuge engagement. I don't need to tell you, hey, help us out with our prayer initiative. Help us out with our food pantry. Be engaged in this or that. All of those things are available. Just simply open yourself to doing the work that Christ came to do in you in the world. And as the lead pastor of this particular soul family, I often wonder, huh, if, if I'm actually the sub-manager here, and all of you are, quote, employees of the church, you're the labor force of the church, and I'm supposedly the supervisor of this local church, then how well are we doing accomplishing the work of Jesus as the church in the world? Now, when I look at those four things, whether it's poor or blind or captive or oppressed, I think that we can do a much better job with regard to the captive piece. I mean, when I sit in front of God and I listen, I just open myself up to how we're doing with those four things in the work of the church and social center of God's kindness, I wish we had a stronger outreach to the prisons. The prisons of crime, the prisons of poor living, the prisons, prisons of addiction. And I'm praying about how we can do better as a community church in those areas. I'd like us to, see, to be stronger for Jesus in the captivity piece. However, when I think of the other three things, I, I really, sitting in front of God, believe we're doing pretty good. We're actually doing pretty good. The poverty piece, I think about the food pantry on Fridays. I think about our benevolence ministries. I think about our backpacks of love. I think about our Nicaragua clean water initiatives and other initiatives. I think about our senior center outreaches. I think about our city of... Uh, refuge partnership, 
We're doing pretty good with the poverty piece. I love that. You can be involved in all of those things. I think about the blindness piece. Jesus was talking about blindness in all these different manners. All our indirect and direct evangelism events that are attempting in our, to enlighten people of their status spiritually, all of the things we're doing in our ongoing connection groups and our growth groups are all an attempt to help people get a clearer vision of the life that Jesus calls them to live. And when I think about our oppression piece, for the first time, since I've been lead pastor of this particular church, I feel really good about this part of the work of Jesus in our church. I believe that we are really truly making progress with regard to racial reconciliation and reform. And I believe that's because we now have an action team assembled. At the height of all the racial tension in 2020, I grew really, really tired of all the rhetoric with no real change. The black minority was talking a lot. The white majority was talking a lot. But I didn't see and I didn't experience any real movement towards genuine reconciliation and genuine reform. And this is part of the work of Jesus. It's one-fourth of the work of Jesus that he said he came to do. And I believe that the Lord was chastising me, convicting me, saying, big deal, Steve, you got a lot of talk and no action. You got a whole labor force. What are you doing leading this whole labor force with regard to this issue of these, this, this oppression that's being talked about all over the place, but very little being done? And I believe the Lord was leading me to establish a team that would actually be more interested in doing more and talking less. And I said to you back then in 2020 that I was truly uninterested in talking about racial discrimination without specific racial discrimination to identify and intervene in and reform. Rhetoric without reform is a waste of breath. Rhetoric without reform is a waste of breath. But rhetoric that defines identifies oppression, and creates an actionable plan to reform that oppression, that is Christ in us fulfilling His work. And that's actually happening in our R3 team. So before I get into the rest of the sermon and wrap it up, I want to invite Jamie Harris to come on up and give you a little update as to what's happening with regard to our R3 team. Thank you, Jamie. Good morning, Heritage. Um, thank you, Pastor, for this opportunity. You can opportunity. step over to the center because I want to, oh, there you go. I want to see you on the center of the screen. <laughs> um, thank you for this opportunity. And first, I want to thank our, our three team. We have eight of us, and it's a diverse team, white, black, and Hispanic at this time. So we are doing some work. The first thing that we're working on right now is a newsletter. In the newsletter, it outlines some prayer guides. It outlines some of the things that have happened in the past that impact the present, and also some things of the present that we should highlight. And so that newsletter, the first version, is coming out soon. So I know you're excited about that. That's coming out. Um, another thing that we'll be doing is we want to focus on biases. Um, sometimes when we think of the word racism, we think, oh, I don't need that. I don't have that problem, but the reality is all of us have biases within us, whether implicit or obvious. And so we're working, in, we're working to create a training 
One, to define one so that we can, and in it, we will identify within ourselves what we may need to work on so we can be more Christ-like in the earth, um, and also how to mitigate some of the biases. So those are two of the things that we are working on. Um, I just blanked on the third. We're also working on one more thing. We are really active, and I just want to thank the team. Oh, the other thing was a connection group. We are not experts. We're experts of our own experience, yes, but we need to learn from others. And so we want to um, have a book club where we can read and learn from experts. So we want to make that in the form of a connection group. So look forward to you participating and also praying in this um, for ourselves and also for the team. So thank you. Great. Thank you, Jamie. Appreciate it very much. Uh, Corey Eslick was also um, a part of the co-leadership of this particular team. Uh, Corey has gotten a new job now, and so he's been kind of cut out of being available to that. And uh, we're really sad about that loss in our leadership, but Jamie's doing a fabulous job. And I am super proud of that experience. So when I think about being pleased about 2020 and being pleased about actually intervening and 25% of the work of Jesus he said he came to do, I am so very happy about this. And I must say that my implicit bias has become very, very real to me in the last two weeks. The first week, it was a very joyous bias uh, when the Steelers lost. Yep, uh, growing up here, you know, uh, I grew up here. I, I, I cannot like the Steelers, I'm just, I'm not allowed. That's an implicit bias of me growing up here. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, last night, um, I have a very negative bias towards Buffalo. <laughs> Warren Hiller, I don't care that you've got the jersey on today, I just don't care. Uh, if you're attacked in the parking lot afterwards, security team, walk the other way. It doesn't matter. <laughs> That's my implicit bias for today. So uh, we all have implicit biases that we bring to the table. Some of them are much more deeply rooted than others. It doesn't mean we're racist or anything along those lines, but it means that we have these things inside. And David said to the Lord, hey, Lord, look at me. Spirit, search me. Show me. Is there anything wrong within me in any way? That was David praying that God would show him what implicit sins, self-sins, biases, discriminatory sins, prejudices, anything that might be wrong, show me, Lord. And so this week, I just chose that, that quarter, that 25% of what Jesus said he came to do, that oppression piece, and leveraging this holiday weekend of MLK Day tomorrow invites us to consider human equality very briefly but very incisively. Does it not still amaze you that it was only 57 years ago, 57 years ago, that America enacted a law that said that black folks were equally human? to white folks. 57 years ago, that's it, that we finally came up with a law, an act that said that black folks are equally human and can share water fountains and ride buses and things like that and live in the same places. And by law, that was, that's just amazing. It was just 57 years ago. So when Jesus says, I came to live in you and work through you to identify and relieve oppression, 
He's going to do it in a total holistic way. We are called to do it for Him in every little way we can in our relationships, in our marriages, in our, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our HOAs, and looking for opportunity to figure out, identify oppressive things and relieve that oppression. We are doing the work of Jesus. Let's just work through quickly several scriptures that contextualize this understanding of Luke 4. Genesis chapter 1, starting with verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals of the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and the animals and all that scurry along the ground. It's very interesting there in that passage what's not present. And what's not present is the Lord saying, Subjugate certain people groups and rule over them. He didn't say rule over any other human beings. Equally, rule over the earth. All of you, I mean, I'm, all of you human beings, I'm creating human beings, and all of you have this responsibility to rule and govern the earth and be fruitful and multiply it and fill it with my will and my ways. I am your authority. All of you equally subjugate the earth, animals, land, vegetables, trees, you do it all equally. Nothing's in here about conquering certain people groups and ruling over them. We all have the same origination and we all have the same mandate. We all come from God and we all are called by God to inequity rule and supervise the affairs of the earth. That's what we're called to do. And some might say, well, uh, you know, after Genesis 3, things changed. Yes, things change dramatically, but the reality is our mandate from God has never changed. God has never said, oh, by the way, I don't, I don't want you to hold you to Genesis 1, 26 through 28 anymore. He calls us to continue that mandate. And we as Christians, with Christ living in us, Christ came to renew that mandate in us for us to rise up, engage politics, engage community service, engage your, your neighborhood association, engage your family, engage your spouse in managing equitably the affairs of the earth and the world. Acts 17, 24, what a beautiful passage of Scripture. He's, he's speaking to these folks who are imagining all kinds of hierarchy in the Godhead. And he says to these people, and, and these people are thinking all kinds of hierarchy in the world as well, by the way. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. 26, from one man, person, human being, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. This was absolutely earth-shattering to those folks. Because the Greeks believed that they were the supreme human beings of all the earth. Alexander the Great had conquered. The whole world was becoming Roman and, and Greco-Roman. And they believed they were the ruling people, the ruling humans. They need to subjugate the whole earth to their authority and rule. And Paul was simply reminding them that this actually is not the will of God for the world. 
The will of God is that we all live in harmony. Originally, all humans were created equally and perfectly so in God's sight. However, Genesis 3, we're all familiar with, all humans equally failed in God's sight as well. Are you more perfect than me? Are you more perfect than your spouse? Careful. That's a dangerous thought. When we start creating a hierarchy of value and perfection and better than others, this is dangerous. Romans 3, 23, for everyone has sinned. What does that mean? That we all have fallen short of God's glorious standard. What's his standard? Perfection. And none of us measure up. What's the standard? Jesus is the standard. If you can say, I live exactly like Jesus and I am just like Jesus, then perhaps you measure up. But all of us have fallen short of the glorious standard of Jesus. I often use this illustration. I really like it. If you were to stand me, Michael Phelps, uh, Greta Garbo, um, and Kobe Bryant or anybody else, living or dead, on the beach in California and say, okay, all four of you swim to Hawaii. Just because Michael Phelps makes it a little bit further than me doesn't mean he's any more alive than I am. We're all dead. We're never going to make it. Nobody's going to make it. It doesn't matter what high-level athlete. It doesn't matter if you're in a wheelchair or, or can't swim at all. Everyone's going to end up at the bottom of the ocean dead. And that's exactly what happened with sinfulness. We are all equally dead in sin. But, the most powerful theological word in all the Bible, right? B-U-T, but. John 1, 12. But. To all who believed in Him and accepted Him, He gave them the right to become children of God. Romans 6.23, you know this passage, for the wages of sinfulness is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We were created equally perfect. We all equally sinned, and now we're all equally dead in sin, but... When raised to new life in Christ, we are all equally alive. We all have the potential for that same life together. We are all equally children of God. No favorites in God's family. Didn't you hate that as parents? The kids say, well, mom loves me more than I love you. How many of you still fuss about that? I mean, when I get together with my family, even my brother at times will take the, you know, play the victim role. Like, yeah, well, mom loved you more than she loves me. You know, that kind of thing. We'll go there. All of us are loved equally by the Father God and all of us. No, none of us are favorites in his sight. Galatians 3, 26. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile or slave or free or male or female or Buffalo Bills fans, or Ravens fans. 
There is no longer, there is no longer any of that going on. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. We must equally fight against discrimination based on the qualities of skin color, height, weight, ethnicity, IQ, GPAs, income, etc., etc., etc. God is a God of equality. Jesus came to free folks from the oppression of inequality. And he lives within us to do exactly that. How can you level the playing field? How can you in your life, in some form or some fashion, set at equality everyone in your life? How can you do that more effectively in the spirit of Jesus? How can you do that in your mind, in your attitudes, in your disposition? How can you do that? The church must champion equality because it was 25% of the work that Jesus said he came to do. And the grace of Jesus is equally distributed among all people. Nobody gets more or less. Jesus' blood is needed to cover all of us in its entirety. There are no favorites in God's kingdom. 1 Timothy 5, 21. I solemnly command you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and the highest angels to obey these instructions without taking sides or showing favoritism to anyone. Paul said that to a group of people who were absolutely immersed in hierarchy. There was a caste system. There was slavery. There was the elites. There there was all this strata of society. And Paul was saying, don't ever treat anyone from the lowest or highest position any differently. Make sure your attitudes, your disposition, your posture towards those people, no matter if they're light, dark, tall, uh, short, heavy, light, rich, poor, political, not political, blue collar, white collar, doesn't matter. There are no favorites in God's kingdom. This was a revolutionary thought for the moment. Imagine if Christian middle schoolers and Christian high schoolers walked into their campus and recognized regardless of the social strata of this school, I will not treat anyone differently than anyone else. That is revolutionary. Colossians 3, verse 11. In this new life, out of a life of hierarchy into a life of equality. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Ephesians 2, verse 14, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people in his own body on the cross. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Is there a wall of hostility that's separating you from anyone? Is there a wall of hostility that's separating you from anyone at any level to any degree? Jesus came to break down that wall of hostility. 
He did this by ending the system of the law, which was a law of hierarchy and performance with its commandments and its regulations. He made peace between the Jews and the Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups, the haves and the have-nots. He made one new people. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done. This is why he came. Luke 4. The diversity of earth now is incredibly diverse. But then, see, the diversity of earth right now is by and large a hierarchy. Some, some are better off than others, and, and, and some are higher, more highly valued than others, and others are not. And ultimately, what's going to be the diversity of heaven? Will there be any value diversity in heaven? There can't be. So how do we live now more like we will live in heaven then? I told you the theme of this year is saying, uh, I'm, I'm from there, but I live here. I'm in this world, but not of this world. How do we live like Jesus? How do we live and allow Jesus to live through us with the diversity of earth, even the hierarchical value system that we have with regard to people because of income and possessions and skin color and disability and not disability and talent and skill and ability? I mean, Lord, have mercy. Have you ever thought about what would happen if we paid teachers and nurses what we pay rock stars and sports figures? Would this country's value system shift overnight? If all of a sudden we started paying teachers and nurses, well, we pay sports figures and rock stars, what an amazing turn of events that would be and how the value system would shift in our entirety. Just, just amazing. The diversity of earth now and then, the unity of heaven now and then. Then it will be perfect. Now it's imperfect. But Jesus is in us wanting to bring that sense of unity to this world. And when we live that way, we live as contrast people to a world who is very, very different. So are you a part of the family of God? If you are, you are called to the work of Jesus in part relieving those that are oppressed. But maybe some of you are thinking, I don't know that I'm part of the family of God. I don't know that I'm a follower of Jesus or a Christian. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. What does that mean? That means... To be destroyed is to be without God. That's how the Jews understood. That's how the Bible, how Jesus understood that the life of destruction is without God. But a life of heaven and construction is with God. What he's saying, I don't want anyone to live without God, but wants everyone to repent of living without God 
and become a child of God. Romans 10, how do you do this? What, what do I do? What, how do I sign up? Romans 10, for it is by believing in your heart that you were made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew, Gentile, male, female, tall, short, white, black, white collar, blue collar, doesn't matter. All are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Today, right now, Jesus is still offering sight to the blind. He, he is still offering relief from captivity, the captivity of sinfulness. He is still inviting you out of the poverty of soul that you've been living in and into the richness of God. And he is inviting you to drop the chains of oppression and come into the soul family of equity in a way that is joyous and powerful and rich. Would you pray with me if you're interested in that? Just own these words. Say to God, I haven't been living with you, God. I've been living without you. I haven't been interested in your ways because I've been living so devotedly to my ways. Right now, I want to live with you. I want you to give me the secret of life, which is Christ living in me. I repent, I turn away from, the, from my former way of living without you. And I turn myself towards a life of living with you. So right now, God, enter into my life and heart and help me to live and to work with you. To be sensitive to the poor, the blind, the captive, the oppressed. And to live in a way that as you have set me free, as you have granted me riches beyond measure, as you have released me from oppression, as you have given me sight to my soul, I want to take all of these things into the world and offer them to others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? I want to encourage you to, to check back in next week. We're starting a new series next week. I, I am, that means we are, starting a new series next week on the kingdom of God. What does it mean to live in the kingdom of God? In fact, when we first see Jesus in the Gospels, he comes preaching the kingdom of God. That's what he comes preaching. What does it mean to live this kind of life in the kingdom of God? For you that are watching the stream right now, I want to encourage you that as we enter into singing this song, this really beautiful classic song that really speaks of what we want the world to see as contrast people, I want to invite you, if right now online you want to drop over and click that link in the comment section and submit a prayer request, you're welcome to do that. We're going to do that here in person in just a moment. But let's take a, 
a second right now to sing this old familiar song and think about what it means to to walk out of here as employees of the Lord, to walk out of here with a job description, the same job description Jesus said he had himself, which was to make sure that the world knew that he loves them and he's calling them to him.